Hi everyone, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everyone, it's Eva here with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm in this time of COVID-19. We know all you farmers are out there and you're making quick and significant changes to your supply channels, your staff, food safety protocols, and more. And you've had so many questions for us regarding legal risk management. So we're recording a series of COVID-19 episodes to address your questions about sick leave, unemployment and discrimination, diversification and employment, uh, sales and contracts, and more. Today, we're back for part six with our director, Rachel Armstrong, and our staff attorney, Sarah Vale, to discuss the Families First Act and Family Sick Leave. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for being on the line. Good to be here again. Hi, Eva. So we've gotten quite a few questions from farmers about the Families First Act, as it seems to be a federal act that provides for sick leave, and farmers are wondering whether this act can apply to their farm businesses. Right. No, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, so the Families First Act tucked into there was, was really two big sub-acts, I suppose you could call it, the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act, the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Act. So they do two different things. Um, and the first thing to see is that both of them, yes, they apply to farms. However, uh, before anyone panics, the other thing we got to see right away is that these are very unlikely to actually impact most farms. And there's a few reasons why they're probably not going to end up impacting, you know, your average farm, wherever you're located in the country. So let's get into a few details on, on you know, what they require and who has to comply with this. So the first one, Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act. This one requires that a business give 80 hours of paid sick time or for part-time employees, whatever the average amount that they work in any two-week period. That's what you have to give in paid sick time. So that seems um, it seems a little burdensome to, to farms um, right off the bat, like, okay, uh, two weeks of paid sick time was not what I was, not in my policy manual, you know, it's not what I was committing to provide. Um, a lot of farms don't have any paid sick time for part-time employees, too. So for a lot of folks, this is, this is a little alarming. This is a pretty big shift from what their policies um, are prob probably are at this time. Don't panic. Let's talk about when. When do you actually have to give 80 hours of paid sick time or whatever the two-week equivalent is? Well, four main circumstances. The first is when the individual in question, the employee in question, is subject to a governmental quarantine or isolation order. Now you're probably thinking, hey, isn't the whole country under a quarantine or isolation order? Actually not. 
most of the country right now is under a stay-at-home executive order. That is not the same thing as a governmental quarantine or isolation. Even though on social media right now, we're all like, ooh, you know, quarantine baking. Um, we're just doing that because <laughs> we want to show off our, our you know, um, cupcakes that we baked yesterday. This is actually not a quarantine. A quarantine is when someone, when you have been, a, when you are, have been a contact of someone who has been diagnosed with COVID-19. That is a quarantine. Isolation is when you have COVID-19, you have been diagnosed and you have been ordered to isolate yourself so that you don't infect others. So both of these, a governmental quarantine or a governmental isolation order, both require the diagnosis of COVID-19. In many states, you're not going to get diagnosed unless you, you fit a certain profile. Like in the state of Minnesota, um, unless you work in you know, a hospital or a healthcare facility or you, you live with multiple other non-family members, you're not going to get a test. So you're not going to get a governmental quarantine or isolation order, and neither will your associates and affiliates who hung out with you last week. So we can probably set that one aside. It's not going to relate to most farm employees. The second one is if you've been advised to self-quarantine. This could maybe happen if you know you're you have a uh, you have a persistent cough, you have a fever, like you have all of the um, symptoms, but maybe a test is not available to you under your circumstances. But a doctor still says to you, you know, I, I can't test you, but you really need to self-quarantine. I think you have it, or I think that your associate or family member or whatever was exposed or is infected. So that's more possible. It's more possible that a medical professional could advise an individual to self-quarantine. Then this paid sick time would, would kick in. Third circumstance, if you're caring for an individual in quarantine or isolation. So they're your child, your parent, something like that. Again, all of these require some kind of, you know, medical confidence um, that you've been exposed. But that brings us to the fourth one. The fourth one's a total oddball. Um, and this is if the individual is caring for a child who is out of school or their childcare provider is uh, not providing services. If that's uh, the situation that your employee is, is in. So there's no COVID-19 anywhere or in any family member. Nobody's been diagnosed, but their childcare provider shut down and now they need to stay home to take care of their kid. They may be eligible for the 80 hours or two week equivalent of paid sick time. I think that's the one that's, that is gonna, has the most likelihood to affect farms um, if their employees have uh, school-aged children or are in daycare. So now we have a small number of farms who are panicking listening to this podcast and thinking, but, but that's me and I still don't have the money for paid sick time. What am I gonna do? There is an exception. You don't have to provide the paid sick time if doing so would place the viability of the business at risk. So if providing that paid sick time is going to cause you to, you know, go out of business, you don't have to do it. And exactly where that line is, well, we're not offered a lot of guidance on that. I don't know about you, Sarah, but I do not see a lot of laws, a lot of laws that say you have to comply with this unless it would be too taxing to your business and then you don't. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gray area right now in these laws. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what that means. Um, it probably means there's a lot of discretion on the part of the business owner. What does this really mean? And they're going to have to be prepared to defend whatever their decision is in court. So 
If you don't do it, it does come with a penalty of fines and imprisonment, potentially. So um, kind of serious. You might want to make sure that you are uh, feeling good about uh, the decision you make, whether or not to comply with this. And so, Rachel, I'm wondering, how would uh, compliance be enforced? That's a great question. I think in this case, it would probably be the aggrieved employee. And they would have to, uh, uh, and I, I apologize, I didn't look up whether they could initiate a suit um, themselves or if they, if they would go to um, the federal government to say, please enforce this um, for me on my behalf. So two different scenarios, because of course, if you can go to the federal government to get them to initiate the lawsuit, you don't have to pay an attorney. If you're stuck having to enforce it yourself and you have to pay for that attorney, you know, you're probably in a situation where you don't need to get paid sick time. So, um, so that I am not exactly sure about, but um, there are other factors at play. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So these laws are written pretty quickly, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. No one anticipated that this would be, would be needed. So these, you know, uncertain things like place the viability of the business at risk. There's not a lot of, you know, case law or guidance to, to go off of. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the, the power really rests with the farm principal farm operator to make that call. You know, what is the viability of the business and what is risk? Is it having a lower profit margin? Is it only being able to keep some employees on, but not others? And how do you make that call? Um, are you at risk if you can't have any employees or if you can't make right. any sales? Like what is the call? So lots of squishiness there. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And then are, are employees going to be worried about even um, trying to enforce this? You know, what about if somebody requests this emergency paid sick leave, um, are they going to be at, at risk of being terminated? Right. Right. Exactly. Now, I will say that there are rules in here against retaliating against folks that do choose to take advantage um, of their provisions. But, I, you know, I mean, most employees know that the, the what they ask for at work has an implication on how they're treated at work. And so I think that that would have definitely, it would come into play in terms of, of their decision making. Mm-hmm. So, and I should have said, just to be a little bit more thorough, um, that if it wouldn't place the viability of the business at risk, that does only apply to businesses that have fewer than 50 employees. I was just assuming that um, for the most part, the farms that we work with do not have 50 or more employees. Good clarification. Yeah. Right, right. And this law is set to go into effect um, shortly. So it's 15 days after March, after March 18, um, when it was passed. So technically, if you know, this was your situation last week, uh, it's not necessarily enforceable, but it will be very soon here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of things are quickly coming into place. Um, and options right. are open, opening up for folks to pursue support for being laid off because that is what unpaid sick leave is. We've been talking quite a bit on our team about um, layoffs on farms. And if you uh, missed out on our first episode of the COVID-19 series, we did cover pretty in-depth sick leave on the farm, both paid and unpaid. So do circle back to episode 12, um, which is our first coverage episode on COVID-19 with sick leave. And one more piece of, uh, well, a piece of good news that I want to make sure to mention about the uh, Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act portion of this law. Um, If you're in this position, and if you do extend 80 hours of paid sick time, probably for 
someone whose, whose children are out of school, do know that you can take a credit against your payroll taxes for that. And that's a 100% credit. So if you paid out $1,000 in, in sick leave, you can take a $1,000 credit against you know, the uh, FICA taxes, Social Security, Medicare, um, that, uh, that you're obligated to pay into. So at the end of the day, it might not actually cost you much. It's going to take some time um, for, for everything to you know, zero out, basically, but that credit is also available to you. And if you continue to retain employees, you will definitely be continuing to pay those payroll taxes. So you have the opportunity to take that credit. Yeah, good incentive. Yeah. Do employers have to pay those right now or do they get a little break? I haven't heard of any exemption from payroll tax. Have you? I'm not clear. It might be in the follow-up set of legislation in the CARES Act. So. Ah, the CARES Act. <laughs> and just for all you listeners know, we've put a pin in the CARES Act because um, it's a beast. And um, on some issues, there's not a lot of clarity. On some issues, there's clarity, but we're waiting for a little bit more confirmation um, and a little bit more details on how it affects the farm specifically. But do expect some podcasts on the CARES Act before long. Before we get there, though, let me, let me dive into the other portion um, of the Family First um, Act. And that's the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Act. Does this apply to farms? Well, yeah, it applies to farms. There's no exception for farms. But that, 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 we'll get to that. So let's talk about what this is. This is 12 weeks of paid leave. So this is huge. This is way more than two weeks. When, when would you owe 12 weeks of paid leave? Well, it's the same factors that we discussed before. Someone's been diagnosed with COVID-19 and you for yourself are within your circle um, and it's having an effect on you. You're caring for them. You've been advised to self-quarantine. So you heard those factors but also that fourth factor. You're caring for a child who is out of school or their childcare provider um, is shut down because of COVID-19. So that's pretty big. 12 weeks of paid leave because someone, because your employees' um, kids um, aren't getting care at school or childcare. Well, what do you have to do? You don't have to pay the first 10 days um, of their leave, but after that, you have to pay at least two thirds of their regular pay up to $200 per day and up to $10,000 in aggregate. Two exceptions though. So first, we have the same as we talked about before. If compliance with this puts the viability of the business at risk, you don't have to do it. This, I will admit, is a lot more likely to put the viability of a farm at risk. This up to $10,000 in aggregate, $200 per day, then, you know, that could add up. I'll admit most farm workers aren't paid that much, so it's going to accrue a little slower, but it's still possible um, that a farm could hit that, that threshold. For most farms, that's a lot to have paid for, for work that didn't get done. So we have, that, we have that one exception for if compliance puts the viability of the business at risk. The other thing, you know, that I kind of hesitate to mention, but you deserve to know, uh, the law also says that this is not going to be enforced um, under civil uh, provisions for businesses that have fewer than 50 employees for at least 20 weeks. So if you don't have 50 employees for 20 weeks, no civil enforcement. So something to keep in mind. You, this is still the law, um, and there is still an obligation to, uh, to fulfill the law. So keep that in mind. Uh, other element is that you have to give that individual um, their job back. So 
we have to continue to retain them um, if, they take this, uh, if they take this leave to care for their child. So it's a different law. Uh, it has different implications, but it has a lot of the same factors in terms of um, uh, you know, when, when is this provision triggered um, and who doesn't have to, who doesn't end up doing it in the end. So for, I'm looking into the future here because some projections for COVID-19 anticipate, um, and I hope to, do not happen, a resurgence of the virus come fall. And I'm wondering now with the these two acts and the provisions for paid sick leave and when they apply um, for agritourism farms who may or may not be up and running by the fall or if they have plans to because there hasn't been a resurgence of the, the virus and they hire on their 50 plus employees for all the different agritourism activities on the farm. Would this law apply to them in the future um, for those employees if they're hired on, they're running the agritourism activities and then there's, there's a resurgence of the pandemic and then things have to shut down again. Absolutely, it would still apply. So this law is in effect until December 31st, 2020. So right now it's only for this season, you know, if this is a harvest festival that's going on in September, 2020 or October, still in effect. If we're talking 2021, I don't know, you know, it could be renewed or something like that, but right now it will sunset or, you know, go away um, on December 31. But there is on another note, the question that you asked earlier about what does it mean to be, um, to put the business in extreme, you know, financial hardship or at risk. And the Department of Labor does have some guidance as to uh, when the business will be put in such extreme hardship that they don't have to comply with this. And one way is by showing that um, giving the paid sick leave would result in a small business's expenses and financial obligations exceeding available business revenues and cause the small business to cease operating at a minimal capacity. That's pretty clear guidance that farmers could follow. Just taking a look at their, their books with their accountant and seeing what minimal operations would be and what revenues are and tallying up how many employees are trying to get uh, accommodations under these acts for paid sick leave for them to be at home with their child and have your answer. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And it also gives a little more guidance and it says if the absence of the employee risk requesting the paid sick leave would entail a substantial risk to the financial health or operational capabilities of the small business because of their specialized skills, knowledge of the business or responsibilities, then they also don't have to provide it. So if there's somebody you know. so important to the business that only knows how, you know, this particular farm works, then they might not be given this. I like to be the naysayer, you know, I like to come in and say, oh, but wait, because, um, you know, attorneys like to make things more complicated. I would argue with that in a farm context, though, because operating loans are a standard practice 
for an agricultural business. And the definition of an operating loan is you don't have enough revenue to meet your expenses because farming is so seasonal. Your revenue only comes in at one time of the year. You're operating for months without being able to meet your expenses. And you use things like operating loans or, you know, um, deferring expenses or things like that to try to float yourself through. Um, so I would, I mean, if I were the government and, and somebody tried to tried to tell me, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, revenues weren't, uh, weren't sufficient to cover expenses, I would say, yeah, like every other farm. Um, but <laughs> hard to say how that would turn out. <laughs> yeah, farming is a, is a unique industry. Right. And I mean, this is a little bit of the premise of Farm Commons, but the laws were not written to accommodate the unique, the unique business model that is farming. And that's why we are here is to try to explain how is this going to line up with the farm? What does this mean for, for agriculture, which is, you know, an essential industry for the United States, not just for our economy, but for, you know, our identity and our, our health and sustainability and wellness and all of those things. Um, and yet we're stuck in a situation where the law doesn't really recognize us and isn't written for, um, for our unique business models. So I guess uh, that's not really good news. It's just, uh, hey, I hope we can provide some support and um, some perspective to help, uh, help pull you through to the other side, how the laws actually affect farms on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. Yep. Round peg, square hole. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Rachel and Sarah, for breaking down uh, the two parts that make up the Families First Act. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.